Okay, I believe that improved it. Thank you very much. I am a running preacher, so if I get uh, locked into one place, I lose my place. Let me encourage you to see what you can learn during this time of interruption and transition. If I live to June 18th, I will celebrate 60 years of preaching. And uh, thank you. We're having a party at Central in MacMinnville, Tennessee, so you are all invited that day. I like parties, and they're giving me a party that day. The last 14 years, uh, Gail and I have been working with churches between preachers. A lot of times when a preacher stays a long time and does a good job, the church doesn't like whoever comes next. It just happens. I volunteer to be the one they don't like. And so in the six to 18 months that we spend with that congregation, the church has an opportunity to grieve the loss of their last preacher and hopefully gain some wisdom to try to find a good fit for the next preacher for that church. And uh, so I am acquainted with the transition process and... Uh, but it is a tremendous time to learn when everything is shaken up and, and disorganized. That's just a good time to say, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? Transitions are going on all the time. There is death and divorce and retirement and houses burning down and moving and getting fired and, and just all kind of stuff interrupts and, and puts us into a transition process. And the more we practice that, the more, the better we can uh, learn from it. So, God bless you during that time. Don't miss the opportunity to get a graduate course in what life is all about. Let me ask you a question this morning. And that's mainly what we'll do is ask one question, try to answer it. I want to ask you a question. Are you normal? You don't have to shake your head, just think about it. Now, if we were talking about physically, we could do some checks and find out. Yeah, 98.7, that's, that's normal. And that would solve that problem. But what I really want to ask today, are you a normal Christian? You ever wonder about that? Are you a normal Christian? Do you feel sub or super? That you're a little below what you need to be or maybe a whole lot below on some days? Or do you feel I'm better than everybody else? Like one person said, I'm as good as Jesus Christ and getting better every day. So am I normal? The word Christian is used three times in the Bible. Acts eleven twenty six, 26. Acts chapter 24. Or 26 and verse 28, 1 Peter 4, 16. First time, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So the people, the people who followed Jesus were called Christians. In Acts 26, Paul was preaching and the man asked him there, or he said to him, Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. In 1 Peter 4, 16, Peter said, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian... 
Let him not be ashamed, but let him, let him glorify God in this name. And I said that to say this. Two of those passages are associated with the ministry of Paul, and the other is associated with the ministry of Peter. And so I'm going to be looking and invite you to participate. Look at Paul and Peter as normal Christians. Peter followed the Lord physically while he was on the earth. Paul was an apostle born out of due season, and he followed the Lord and was an apostle of the Lord all his life since his conversion. You might want to jot this down. We're going to look at six characteristics. Just check it out. You go into the doctor, he's got six tests he's going to run on you, and we're going to find out whether you're normal or not. We're going to watch Peter and Paul. Number one, a normal Christian, listen, do you, do you qualify? A normal Christian is someone who has problems. Someone who has problems. Peter it used to embarrass me that God would put all the bad points about the good guys in the Bible. I liked it when I was a kid. We'd watch Hopalong, Cassidy, and Gene Autry and some of those, and the good guys were always good, and the bad guys were always bad, and generally the good ones wore white hats and the other ones dark hats, and it was easy to keep up with whose side to be on. But here God goes and writes the Bible and he tells stuff on Abraham about him lying about his wife and David all the bad stuff he did. And I thought, why in the world they just leave that out? They, did, they don't tell everything and they could just left that out. But now I'm glad he did because it gives me a better perspective when I'm less than the best. Peter had problems. Remember in Matthew 14? They were out in the boat one night. Jesus had sent them out. He had gone the other way. And long in the morning, they look up and they said, It's a ghost! And Jesus said, It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you on the water. And he said, Come ahead. And Peter got out and he started walking. He's doing pretty good. Until he looks around and sees the winds boisterous. And when he did that, he started to sing, Lord, save me. Why are you fearful? Why did you doubt? You of little faith. Peter had a problem of little faith. In Matthew 16, they came to Caesarea Philippi. He wanted the latest Gallup poll, whom do men say that I am? They said, well, I've got several opinions. Some think you're Elijah and some Jeremiah, some of the prophets. What do you think about it, Peter? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he pronounced blessed. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And then Jesus makes a statement which is to be pivotal because here is their disappointment. They had expected a Messiah to come who would overthrow their enemies and give them everything they wanted. But Jesus, and it says from that time on, Jesus began to tell them how that they must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised again the third day. What a disappointment. And you know what Peter did? Peter rebuked him saying, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Peter always had something to say. 
And if he didn't have anything to say, he went ahead and talked anyhow. Have you ever met anybody like that? Have you ever been that person? Well, you got a friend in Peter. On the night uh, before his death, Jesus, they, 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 they ate the Last Supper together. And Jesus took a towel and started to wash all the disciples' feet. And he approached Peter. And Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't, you have no part with me. Well, wash me all. No, he said, I'm not going to give you a bath. I'm going to wash your feet. See, it's either all or none. Peter was just that kind of fellow. He's got to talk, got to talk. Matthew 36, they're going down to go up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, the shepherd will be smitten and the sheep will be scattered. And Peter said, Lord, I will never deny you. I may die with you, but I will never deny you. Peter was somebody who was locked into absolutes. I used to tell couples when I was talking with them, when they were having conflict, I wanted to say never, say never, but to do that would be a contradiction of what I'm telling them to do. So what I say, absolutes are rarely accurate. And every time Peter came out with a never, he had to eat his words. So he said, I'll never deny you. You get down to chapter 26, verse 69, he's warming himself by the enemy's fire. And they say, you were with Jesus and Nathan. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, I recognize you. I do not know the man. Oh yeah, your speech, I can tell by your accent. Have you noticed folks have different accents? He said, I can tell by your accent. And he began to curse and to swear, I do not know the man. And the rooster crowed. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter had problem after problem after problem. Acts chapter 10, here's the third of his uh, nevers. He was down at Caesarea or at uh, Joppa. And he got in one day, it was lunchtime, and I, lunch wasn't ready. I don't know if a microwave was torn up or what the problem was. But he, he went up on the rooftop and fell into a trance. And he saw a vision. And there was a big sheet let down with all kinds of four-footed beasts and creeping things. And a voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, No, not so, Lord. Listen, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And here he goes again. The voice said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And that happened three times. And he found out what the Lord was telling him, that he should not call people common or unclean. And then, aren't you glad Peter got it right? See, Peter preached the truth on the day of Pentecost. They shouted, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You got it right, Peter. That's exactly the mystery that we read about that God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus from the foundation of the world determined that every kind of person would be united together in Christ. But then, Acts chapter 10, he messes it up again. 
Aren't you glad he's got it right? Well, he has until Galatians chapter 2. Paul said, when Peter was come to Antioch, I was stood into the face because he was to be blamed. What is he doing now? Well, before the people came down from Nashville, that's Nashville, Tennessee, where they published the Gospel Advocate, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when his buddies came in from headquarters, uh, he said, I'm busy tonight. I won't be able to get together at our weekly meeting of the Gentile people and I'm going to be with my buddies. And so he would not associate with them. And Paul said, you're a hypocrite. And he said it was so bad that Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Peter was a man who had problems. But look at Paul. Paul was a man who had problems. He, he lists some of those, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's reminiscing about his ministry. He said, five times I was beaten with 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, I spent, I was shipwrecked three times. I spent an entire day and night just floating around in the water. He had all kinds of problems. And then you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he said, Lest I should be exalted beyond measure, the Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh. He said, I asked the Lord three times to deliver me from that, and the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. And he explained to Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And he said, if that's the way it is, then I will, I will glory in my weakness. Because when I'm weak, I'm strong. But Paul had problems. He had physical problems. Galatians 4, verse 13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel to you at the first. A normal Christian is someone who has problems. We'll have problems with our marriage, with our home, with our life, our health, our job, our Christianity. But having problems doesn't mean that we are abnormal. Number two, how are you doing so far? Do you qualify? Number two, a normal Christian is someone who has questions and doubts. See, there was a time when I thought I was supposed to have all the answers. But it didn't. And I felt abnormal and embarrassed and ashamed. But a normal Christian is someone who has questions and doubts. 1 Corinthians was written to answer questions. And there's a shift there in chapter 7. And Paul says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. And we can reconstruct the questions by the answer. Chapter 7, Is it wrong to marry? Chapters 8 and 10, what are we going to do about eating meat that was offered to idols? Chapter 9, should we pay the preacher? Chapter 11, should a man have short hair and a woman wear a veil? Last part of chapter 11, what do we do about partaking of the Lord's Supper? Chapters 12, 13, and 14, issues and worship, and how, how do we deal with spiritual gifts? What are the rules? And then chapter 15, are you telling me, are you telling me that one of these days there's going to be an event when every one of these graveyards will empty up and everybody will get up and start walking around? Are you telling me that? And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. And so there are many questions that the people had and Paul was writing to address those. 
And still today we have many unanswered questions, biblical questions, or at least somehow connected to the Bible. Do you know where Cain got his wife? There was Adam, there was Eve, they had Cain and Abel. And then where'd he get his wife? Where'd he get his wife? Where did all the races come from? Adam and Eve, what race were they? Do you know? Well, we've got a bunch of different races and, and all that. Where, where did all those come from? Did the walls of Jericho fall in or out? What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? When I was a boy preacher, I preached for a church where there was a man, every time we'd have a Bible class, he always had a question. I don't care if it's Genesis, Revelation, or anywhere in between. His question was this. He said, something I've always wondered about, where did Jesus get his clothes when he rose from the dead? It says they went out and they looked in the tomb and there were his grave clothes all folded up. Where did he get his clothes? You know what my answer was? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. That really never wor worried me. Anyone who can raise a dead person to life, I can get them a suit of clothes if you'll let me use my, my, my credit card. I mean, that's a minor problem, but that always bothered him. Never bothered me. But there are some questions I, I wonder about. Do you believe God answers prayer? Do you believe that we still have miracles today like they did in the first century? Now, some people make everything a miracle, but I'll just give you my experience in 76 years of living. I have never been with anybody who was born and never walked a day in their life, and they were over 40 years old, and a preacher or an elder or somebody came in and prayed and they got up just to running and dancing and shouting and just having the biggest time ever. So I've never seen that. I've never gone to a funeral home to express my concern for the death of a loved one and the funeral director meets me out on the front steps and said, I'm sorry, Jerry, but we're not having visitation tonight. That man got right up out of that casket and he, they're back home having a potluck. Said, I thought I embalmed him real well, but uh, somebody came in here and just prayed over him and he kind of stirred around, got up, walked off. I've never seen that. Okay, if God does not do those kinds of things today, what good does it do to pray? How does God answer prayer? Have you ever noticed that many times people who are the most dedicated Christians have some of the worst and great, great number of problems while on the other hand, some people who have no respect for God or His Word seem like things just work out well for them. Everything's running real well. Have you ever noticed that? Why do those things happen? I don't know. I don't know. And so there will be many questions about ourselves, about others, about God and religion. But having questions and doubts doesn't mean we're abnormal and that God will not bless us. I love that passage in Mark 9. A man comes to Jesus and he had a son who's been sick all his life. He has, uh, he has a tax. There's an evil spirit and sometimes it throws him in the water and sometimes it throws him on the ground and he, he foams at the mouth and becomes rigid. 
And the man said, I took him to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus put the ifing back on him. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you were that father, what would you do? Tell you what I'd be tempted to do. I'd say, you talk about faith. I've got 110% faith. You know what that father said? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now what's Jesus going to do? He heals him. I think he appreciated his honesty. It is my understanding that faith grows through creative doubt. Persons, I read this this last week. A person who will not ask questions is ashamed to learn. Faith grows through creative doubt is having questions and looking for the answers. Where can I find an answer to that question? How can I solve this problem? What does God tell me in His Word? How will He help me? How will He give me wisdom? He's promised He'll do that if I'll pray for it. So a normal Christian has questions and doubts, but having questions and doubts doesn't mean we're not normal. Number three, how are you doing on being normal? Number three, a normal Christian is someone who sins from time to time. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. 1 John 1, 8, written to Christians, brethren. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Back to 1 Corinthians. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 talks about the sin of division. Chapter 4, the sin of haughtiness and being puffed up. And I'm better than everybody else. Chapter 5, he said, I have heard that there's a man in that congregation who is living with his father's wife. Even the pagans wouldn't do something like that. And you're going to be destroyed if you keep putting up with stuff like that. You're arrogant and not rather more that he who has done this thing might be taken away from among you. Chapter 6, they were taking each other to courts of law instead of bringing the brethren together like Jesus instructed, Matthew 18, 15, 16, and 17, to settle disputes and settle problems. And so they had all kinds of problems at Corinth. But listen to how he opens that letter. Chapter 1, verse 2, The church of God which is at Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Wow. He says you're God's people and you're going to be able to persevere and He will bless you. And so he's writing not to say give up on it. He's writing to say God has an answer to every issue that you have in your life. So how are you doing so far? Are you normal? Do you have problems? Do you have questions and doubts? Do you do less than your best sometimes? Do you miss the mark? That's another word for sin. But as Paul Harvey used to say, we need to hear the rest of the story. That's three of them. A normal Christian is someone who has faith. He believes in God and accepts the implications of that. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And it has practical implications. 
See, if that's really right, if God is God, and God is going to do what He promises us, we're going to win eventually. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul is writing his last book. He is in a dirty, stinking Roman jail. And all of those adjectives are accurate and inadequate to describe the conditions that they had. And I can imagine people will say, Paul, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I thought you were a preacher. Somebody said that when many preachers come to town, they say, what kind of hotels and motels y'all have in here? They have a breakfast bar every morning? They said, when Paul came to town, tell me about your jails. That's where I usually end up. And so from a dirty, stinking Roman jail, he, he had said, I, I'm a preacher and a teacher and an apostle to the Gentiles. And for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. Paul said, everything is going to work out fine. Because I believe in God and He'll do what He says He's going to do. A person who has faith has acted on that faith. They have obeyed the gospel and accepted the gift that God offers to everybody. Mark 16, 16, it's read in my Bible. Jesus is talking. He said, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. However, having faith doesn't remove all the problems. Let's go back to one of our normal Christians we're looking at today. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Uh, Paul says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. And then in chapter 10, verse 12, Wherefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Normal Christians have problems. So a normal Christian is one who has faith, therefore he is forgiven, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And a normal Christian is someone who is cleansed from every sin. Big ones, little ones, middle-sized ones, whether you rank them or not, they're all gone. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Can you imagine that? There's the big ten. And he said, some of you have done every one of these, and probably some of them multiple ones of those. But he said, that's past. You're washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We have been transformed into the kingdom. 1 John 5, 19, We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. And here's the good news. It was not only at the time and place of our baptism 
But that cleansing just keeps on going. I don't know what your development was, but there were some years in my life that I thought I was saved, probably saved and lost 30, 40 times a day. If I prayed a real good prayer and didn't have any bad dreams during the night, I woke up in pretty good shape. But then I'd mess up and I'd say something wrong or I'd do something wrong or I'd fail to take an advantage of an opportunity to minister and do good. And I got to say, forgive me, Lord, messed up there. Okay, thank you, I'm saved again. Oh, man, I shouldn't. Oh, okay, would you forgive? And I, back and forth. That's not the way it goes. Listen to 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sins, all unrighteousness. Are you familiar with Charles B. Williams' translation of the New Testament? Translation of the language of the people. It was under-advertised. What he does is emphasizes the tense of the Greek verbs. Those verbs have little to do with time, such as past, present, and future, but they have to do with action, whether it is point action or, or whether it is continue action. And listen to how he translates 1 John 1, 7. But if we continue to live in the light, just as he is in the light, we have unbroken fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, continues to cleanse us from every sin. Isn't that powerful? It just keeps on going. One of the best illustrations I know, have you had any rain down here in the last year or two? Just asking, just asking. I, I watched that weather report. That's weird. It usually comes from west to east. Yours is going from south to north. And we're going to get Arkansas just as sure as everything. And it just get... But when you're in the rain, if you've got windshield wipers, what do you do? Well, you can just keep on driving. It keeps on pecking, but it keeps on erasing and erasing and erasing and erasing, and that's what the blood of Jesus, it continues to cleanse us from every sin. Are you saying once saved, always saved? Absolutely not. The Bible does not teach that. Neither is, does it teach once saved, be scared to death for the rest of your life. We have a relationship with Jesus, and we can shake our fist in God's face and walk off and deny Him but the fact that we sin from time to time doesn't mean we lose the relationship. If you ask Gail, is Jerry the perfect husband who never says anything wrong or does anything wrong? She'll say, absolutely not. You want me to tell you a few things? If you'll ask her, is he a faithful husband? She will say, yes, he is faithful. And so there's a difference in being faithful and without sin. The blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from our sin. So as a result of that, I'm committed to wobbling the rest of my life. I learned this lesson. It reminded me of the principle. A few years ago, we were living in Dalton, Georgia. My parents lived in Centerville, Tennessee, about 50 miles from Nashville. We'd been down to Freed Hardeman, visited some friends that weekend, stopped by and saw Mother and Daddy. We got on Highway 96 in Franklin, going over to I-24 that takes us to Dalton, Georgia. It was a little after dark, and we were just winding around through there, and all at once the blue lights came on. Oh, me, oh, me, oh, me. I said, Gail, look. I had a car with a digital dash. I said, I'm doing 50 
three miles an hour and a 55 mile an hour speed limit. You see that? She said, yeah. I said, all right, I've got a witness. <laughs> and so I pulled over. He came out. Could I see your license? Mr. Barber, do you realize how you were driving? Yes, sir. I was doing 53 miles an hour and a 55 mile an hour speed limit. He said, yes, sir, that's about right. Mr. Barber, are you also aware of the fact in the last one mile, you crossed the double yellow line in the center two times and you ran off the right side of the road three times? I said, no, sir, I wasn't aware of that. He said, do you have any reason why, do you know any reason why you did that? Well, I did. That's the way I drive all the time. But I remember what Jesus said in John 16, 12, I have many things to say to you, but you're not able to bear them now. Sometimes it's better not to tell the truth, not lie, but you don't have to tell everything you know. So I just paused and he was a gracious man. He said, are you tired? I said, yes, sir, you got it, that's it. I said, we were at Fried Hardeman last night down in Henderson, Tennessee. We stayed up late and talked with friends and and he said, will you try to do better? You know what I did? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Did you drive perfectly from there to Dalton, Georgia? No, I tried a little harder. But I'm not going to tell you that I was perfectly between the double yellow line and the right line on the center. I wobbled. See, I don't want to run, over, run off in the right ditch. That's unhealthy. But I don't want to run off in the left ditch either. And I cannot, even with the driving skills that I have, I cannot be absolutely perfect. And so I'm going to just wobble. And I'll tell you one thing, though, I got home that night. And you know the reason I got home? Not because I am or was a perfect driver. I stayed on the right road. There were hundreds of roads I could have turned off and ended up in Timbuktu or Kalamazoo. But I got home because I stayed on the right road. And that same is true of our Christian life. The blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from every sin. A normal Christian is one who has faith, therefore is forgiven, therefore he has hope. Isn't that a wonderful word? Listen to this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for, a sea, now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. He said you have a hope, it won't rot, it won't rust, and nobody's going to take it away from you. However, there will be some tears along with the hope. But you had not lost your hope because you're grieved sometimes. And so we have that, that hope in view of the life to come, in view of this life. Jesus said to everybody who has left house or brothers or sisters, or father or mother, or wife or children, lands. Anybody who follows me in this life will, in the next life, he'll have a hundredfold. 
lands and brothers and sisters and children and mothers and houses with persecutions and in the life to come, eternal life. Jesus gives us the power to deal with all of life's problems, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, how how do we deal with the tension? Are you normal? Do you have problems? Do you have questions and doubts? Do you sin from time to time? Do you have faith? Do you have hope? And, and you're forgiven. Number one, prayer and meditation on the Word. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain grace and have mercy to help in time of need. We can be bold. We don't have to approach God and say, God, you don't know how tough it is down here. My guess is you hadn't had COVID in heaven and we've had a rough year. And we've got, we've got business problems, financial problems. we just got all kinds of problems. Oh, no, 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 no. God says, I understand. I sent my son. We talk a lot. and He's told me how it is down there. He endured every type of, of trial that you can ever experience. And yeah, I understand. And so we don't have to do the preamble. Just say, God, I know you know. And please help me. Number two, fellowship with the brethren. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Number three, by struggling. Romans Chapter 7 and verse 19. Listen to what Paul, this is one of the normal Christians. He he said, for the good that I will to do, I do not. They tell me that it is amazing the number of people sign up for the gym in January. And by about the middle of February, they're making a profit on that year contract because folks are dropping out and they don't have to provide the services. Paul said, yeah, I, I got a problem with that. I, I say I'm going to do better and I just go right back to my old habits again. And the evil that I will not to do, Paul said, that's what I end up doing. Man, I'm in a bind. I'm in a bind. I don't do what I aim to do many times. I just have to keep struggling, keep struggling. Number four, ask God for help. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Ask God, ask other people. 1 Corinthians 2, 11. What man, 2, 11. What man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knows no one except the spirit of God. Simply put, that means... I don't know what you're thinking unless you tell me. You don't know what I'm thinking unless I tell you. Did you know, did you know that there are some people who expect preachers and elders and normal human beings, they expect certain things of them and they have certain needs, but they never communicate those needs. And then because you didn't know there was anything wrong, you didn't do anything because you didn't know to do anything, And they want to come two weeks later and want you to feel guilty of sin because you messed up. I have a rule. I'm not going to play that game. 
I hope you'll tell me what you need. I may or may not be able to help you. But if you don't tell me and I don't do it, and then you want me to feel guilty, I'm not going to do it because that, that violates communication rules. Tell me what's on your mind. I'll tell you what I think you need to know. And so we have to, we have to, we have to ask for help when we need help. On the other hand, I would say we need to be sensitive to others. Romans 12, 14, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's okay to go up to a friend and say, you look a little down today. Do you need to talk? No, I just didn't sleep much last night, but everything's fine. Well, I just want to check. Just want to check. So it's okay to be sensitive. Observation. Most of us are normal Christians. Did you know it's normal to be sick from time to time? Have bad cold, sinus trouble, different things. It is abnormal to enjoy poor health. Have you ever met anybody like that? They just really enjoy it. They want to keep something going all the time because they enjoy it. That is abnormal. That's, that, that's not helpful. Uh, to be unconcerned about sickness and, and, do, and, and do nothing about it. We all have problems. We need to keep working on those. There are two problems that demand an immediate response. Number one is not being in Christ. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. Ephesians 2.11, Paul describes those people when they were Gentiles before they became Christians. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is bleak. Need to be in Christ. And number two, not growing as a Christian or declining in our relationship with the Lord. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Revelation 2, 4 and 5, Jesus through John addressed an entire congregation, the congregation at Ephesus. If I'm reading right, that was the most doctrinally sound church in Asia Minor. I mean, they had it right. They dotted their I's and crossed their T's and they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You tried them who say they're apostles and you found them liars. You're, you're right on target. He said, let me, let me share you another, another idea here. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Repent therefore from where you have fallen and do the first works, or I will come to you and remove your candlestick out of its place. And so today, if you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, if you need the prayers of this church, if in any way we can be helpful, this is a good time. Come as we stand and sing.